first of all, may I say um, what a great honour and privilege and pleasure it is to be here, and particularly to be with Martin, whose um, ministry I've admired over so many years. It's wonderful to be on the same, on the same, uh, in the same service with him. St. Paul writing to the Philippians, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth onto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There are three very short and brief messages here on this anniversary occasion, which this text, in a sense, highlights messages we all know but how often I include myself in this, how often we forget. Firstly, the Christian looks forward. Life for the Christian is always looking forward. I think it was interesting that Abraham was 75 when he set out, as it were, at God's calling. And heir of the Chaldees is lost in the sands of time, but people still remember Abraham. We are engaged in a great adventure which is not a treadmill, but a pilgrimage. Being head of um, a college for so many years, I closely watched and was interested in students and particularly in subjects which look forward. Medical students look forward to seeing the patient get better. Teacher training students look forward to see the pupils learning and gaining knowledge and skill. Theologians look forward to a great eternal hope and even even lawyers look forward sometimes. You, generally, they look back to see who's to blame. But if you're a great lawyer, you need imagination if you're writing a, an agreement to see what could possibly happen in the future. Of course, on this anniversary occasion, we pause briefly to look backward. We are a community that remembers. We remember those who worshipped here before us. We remember the great events of God. Every time we take communion, we remember the life and death of Jesus. And it's often said that old age begins, however, when we spend more time looking backwards than forwards. It is all too easy to look back on some unkind or unjust thing done to us and become fixated on it. I remember a minister who lost his scout troop to another church. And somehow, instead of putting it behind him and pressing on, he let it rankle with him for the rest of his life. There are many things behind many people of which they have good reason for disappointment or to be afraid. Because the glory of the Christian gospel, the past can be forgotten and forgiven, that we can walk into the future unafraid. None of us, in a sense, are chained to the past. But in Jesus Christ, we have God's gift of an open future. The Christian looks forward. We're on a pilgrimage, and we sing and march and march and sing to the sunset and the evening star and our journey's ends and home to God. There was a great moment in the life of David when God said to him, you will not build the temple that will be the crowning glory of Jerusalem. Do you remember what David did? He didn't sit down and say, look, if I'm not going to build it, it won't happen. No, 
you remember he got together stone and wood and gold and silver he assembled craftsmen and he laid the foundation for a temple he would never see when finally the temple was built people called it Solomon's temple but in reality it was David's achievement for if he had not worked and played prayed and looked to the future the temple would never have been built even though he never saw it William Osler in his, in his in his published lectures to his medical students, pleads with them, them to see their graduation not as the completion of their degree, but as the beginning of their study. And he tells them to go back to the classroom, to take up new interests and new studies. He commends the aged doctors of France with their white hair who are mingling with those who are just beginning. And he pleads with them to take every precaution against arrested intellectual development. He says, go on learning, and so must we. St. Paul echoed this in his letter to the Galatians. You ran well, but adds, what stopped you? Christ calls us to new adventures, to, uh, to new meanings of life, to new depths of spirituality. Do not let us be deaf to his call. Next time you go to Canterbury, do go and look at the tomb of St. Thomas of Becket in the cathedral, but also find that tiny church of St. Martin, some 10 minutes walk away. It's the oldest Christian church in England, built by the Romans and prayed in down through the centuries. And there you will find the tomb of Dean Alford, and the words written in Latin above it, the inn of a traveler on the road to Jerusalem. What made Alford feel that death was not the end of the journey? It could have only been that deep experience of the love of Christ which made him look forward to continuing his journey in another life. By the grace of God, may we always look forward. And secondly, in a sense, this journey is not a journey on our own. John Wesley always talked about our company. We travel together. And secondly, it means we must also look outward. If we're only interested in our own problems, our own sorrows, our own disappointments, our own careers, our own success, life becomes very, very shallow. If one's always complaining and grumbling, life becomes shallow. If we are to grow and develop as people, we need to enjoy things. We need to share things with other people and double it, their enjoyment. It's our job to seek and find the kingdom of God, not only for ourselves, but for others as well. It's one of the miracles of early Christianity that those early disciples did not, blame, did not blame God for letting Jesus, a good man, die. But somehow through the life and death of Jesus, when they looked back on it, they saw a new way of overcoming sin and bitterness and hatred and greed. And they said, God must be like that. Not only God must be like that, but God was in Christ, reconciling 
the world, world to himself. I've always admired Pope John XXIII. He had a nice sense of humor. He was once asked how many people work in the Vatican, and he replied, about half of them. <laughs> but he captured this true spirit of Christianity when he stood on the balcony of the Vatican and he looked over the crowds of St. Peter's Square and he said, let love go from here to everywhere. Two centuries earlier, John Wesley called a great institutional church and Christians everywhere back to the simple truths of Christianity, that we are to love God with all our hearts and we are to love our neighbors with some of the love with which God has loved us. There is a legend that attached to the vase in Genoa Cathedral that it was once given to King Solomon and contained a liquid which enabled those who drank it to live for a long time. So the king had it locked away in his deepest dungeon and guarded day and night. But news got out. And one day an elderly man came and knocked on the palace door and said, could I just have a small drink of your liquid because I want to live long enough to see my grandchildren. And the king replied, go away. It's only for kings. Another occasion, a man brought his daughter who was very ill and said, could she have a sip of this liquid? And the king said, go away. This is only for kings. And a lady brought a very ill baby who was gray with illness, saying, could my little baby have a teaspoonful of your liquid? And the king said, this is only for me. Go away. And then the legend says that one day the king himself was dying. And so he sent for the vase containing the liquid. He uncorked it and tipped it up to drink it. But nothing came out. It had evaporated because he'd kept it for himself. I'm haunted by the words of one of my predecessors who said, the things we do for ourselves die with us. The things we do for others last forever. Love and kindness and generosity go out across the world and cascade down through the centuries. And, and so that is hugely important that we look outward. But lastly, also, we must look upward. The British artist Turner once said, if you want to understand all my paintings, you must put them all on the same wall and they fall into two categories. You remember the, the, the great storms where uh, we told most which, where he got himself lashed to the mass of the ship in the height of a storm so he could feel its fullness and then go back to his studio and paint what he'd seen and experienced. And then there are those evenings in the English countryside as the harvest comes home or the mornings where the shafts of light break through the clouds. And that's your and my experience too. There are great moments when the storms of life threaten to engulf us completely. But there are also those moments when the shafts of light and love break into our lives from God. That too is our experience. And this, of course, is what Jesus' disciples experienced 
when they're on the boat in Galilee. Jesus' peace and presence breaking into their lives. I remember some years ago reading the um, life of Thomas Huxley. Huxley was a great agnostic, and as a young man, he fell in love with a girl from Sydney. And they were unable to marry for a long time, but at last they could. And on the night of the old year, 1858, he's seen pacing up and down his study, waiting for his child to be born. The next entry in his diary is New Year's Day, 1859, born five minutes before 12. Thank God. But four years later, the child dies. And again, he writes in his diary, Our Noel, our firstborn, was carried off by scarlet fever. My boy is gone, but in a higher and better sense than he was in my mind four years ago. I say without bitterness, amen, so be it. And that was the last entry in his diary. He was too broken-hearted to write any more. But note this, thank God when the child is born and amen when the child dies. Our hearts go out to Huxley. But we also notice even this great agnostic kept open the possibility of a spiritual dimension to life. It means we're not concerned solely with material things, but with kindness and love and forgiveness and living thankfully with a passionate belief that in every situation, here is God. The first year of the 16th century, an old seaman showed King Henry the Seventh, an ancient map of the world, and written over all the unexplored areas, and I suspect New Zealand was one of them and Australia another, was here be dragons, here be demons. But centuries before, the psalmist of Psalm 139 had said, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me. The writer, perhaps David himself, wrote across the whole of the unknown world, here is God. And that's the belief of all of us who seek the spiritual dimension in art and science and music. We begin to see things in the light of eternity. And we see things in the light of God. And we take things take on a new significance and difficult things suddenly become not so quite not quite so difficult Charles Hutchinson was born the year after John Wesley died and he wrote a beautiful tune to a hymn which somehow brings all this to a conclusion and the hymn says this how can your pardon reach and bless the unforgiving heart that broods on wrongs that will not let all bitterness depart? In blazing light your cross reveals the truth we dimly knew what trivial debts erode to us. How great our debt to you. Thanks be to God.